0: Hi there, welcome back to another edition of 116. This is our first one in the new year, and we're so glad to have you along. Thank you so much for the support you have brought to this program. We appreciate it so much when you take the time to uh, like and share uh, these broadcasts on social media, as well as to follow us on the platform you're watching. For example, if you're on YouTube, I can't remember if it's subscribe or follow, but whichever one you do, that keeps you in touch and helps us to get the word out to more people. Plus on your podcast, platform subscribe or follow all of it's free this is the 116 it's a podcast about living life higher wider closer and deeper which interestingly enough that's exactly how we're going to start this year and i'll explain in just a moment it's a presentation of first united methodist church in downtown peoria and you can find more about our church our ministry at peoria1.com that's peoria1.com Uh, Get all the information you need there, and you can also leave messages for us there. Well, my special guest in the studio today is Pastor Tim Osmond. And uh, uh, Pastor Tim, we're going to be talking about Higher, Wider, Closer, and Deeper. What exactly is Higher, Wider, Closer, Deeper?
1: Higher, Wider, Closer, and Deeper is sort of our explanation of what a healthy disciple should look like. So part of our mission statement or our mission statement is to make healthy disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of Peoria and the world. And the question might be, what is a healthy disciple? Well, a healthy disciple is one who goes higher, wider, closer and deeper, higher in worship and praise of God, wider in outreach and in evangelism to our world, Closer in fellowship together and love of one another and then deeper in our faith through Bible studies, spiritual practices like prayer, journaling, Bible study um, that's in depth to help us um, be formed into a healthy disciple. And you go in all four directions and a healthy disciple does not just go higher in worship. So you don't just show up on our podcast or just show up online or show up in person on Sunday morning and then you're finished. But you know there's other things to do this week. I've got to um, reach out to my neighbor. I've got to go deeper in in understanding of God's Word, and I've got to talk to some people and pray for them. So there's other things that you need to do this week besides just worship. And if
0: you go to our website at peoria1.com, you can also kind of see how these ideas flow, because we've set the website up so that you can flow through these ideas and understand more about our ministry work. I think it's also important to say for those of you who are watching from outside of our church community, uh, I, I hope that you gain something of value in this that will help you in your ministry work as well. Because the idea of course, is we, we share about the heart of our ministry work here, but we want you to understand a little bit more about where you can go with your ministry work and how God is calling you as well. Uh, just one more question on higher, wider, mm-hmm. deeper. Where, where did that come from?
1: Um, it, back a number of years ago, I was thinking about how do we define what a disciple is and it's some work that I did actually when I was an, at another church, and I preached a sermon series on that about going higher, wider, closer, and deeper. And I've just always kind of kept that in my back pocket since then. Mm-hmm. And when we got here, we started talking about what is our mission and vision statement, how do we freshen it up, and what does it mean to be a disciple, which is really hard to define. In fact, the United sure. Methodist Church— um, created an entire commission to study what a disciple is, and frankly, they had a very difficult time mm. making, you know, defining what a disciple is. That fascinates me because I don't know any business in this world who would say we make widgets. And you say, well, what's a widget? And they say, well, we have a hard time defining a widget. We're not sure. <laughs> yeah. And in the church, we make disciples. Well, what's a right. disciple? Well, we have a hard time defining it. And to me, it's it's not as difficult as I think scholars and others might make it. I don't mean to, to, you know, diss our scholars, but but it's really fairly simple when you look at Scripture and just take it at face value that a disciple is one who wants to follow Jesus, and I want to learn from Jesus, and I want to become more like Jesus in my experience of God and my experience with the world. So that's kind of where that came from. You know, it's
0: been interesting to me that uh, while discipleship is part of the Great Commission, go go make disciples and Uh, disciples who make disciples. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, in my years, both as a pastor and and beyond that, in my research and study of the church, I think one of the the areas where most churches feel like they are struggling is in the area of discipleship. It's kind of a, would you say a sad irony? Maybe Mm -hmm. that it's the thing that we are uh, beyond loving each other. We're told to disciple. And yet it's a thing that we recognize that uh, we tend to be weakest on and, uh, I don't know. It's well, let's work on that,
1: shall we? We yes, we ought. To, we need to work on that. But I think that's a part of, again of making it too complicated. I'm mm-hmm. a pretty simple guy. I need things fairly simple mm-hmm. and concrete. And I, you know, I loved um, geometry class. I wasn't a big fan of of algebra because it was abstract and what's an x and a number that you can't get your hands on. But I love geometry. I could, in my mind, figure out what a triangle was, you know, the angles, the radius, and all of that made sense to me. So I like concrete, visual things that you can get your fingers around, which is why for me, higher, wider, closer, deeper, for a person who's a visual, that makes sense.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. Now, we're going to talk about the higher aspect today, which uh, is found in, in worship and especially for somebody, let's approach this from the eyes of somebody who has not been a part of a church throughout their life, and this idea of worship can be a curious one. I mean, we talk about worship services or worshiping God, and and perhaps in the uh, mind of the uninitiated, they're thinking of like, ooh, uh, ooh, uh," you know, those kinds (laughs) of images we have. What exactly to a a believer in Jesus is worship?
1: Yeah, so worship um, is— can be a little difficult to define because it is a little abstract because we're worshiping a God that we cannot see, which is why sometimes in a church having images before you like a cross um, in the Catholic church, they sometimes use icons of the stations of the cross of of Christ Mm -hmm. and they are just visual representations of whom we know we're worshiping and they just kind of help us connect. So worship for me is a connection that I'm able to make with God and it is a connection that I make that's in awe and in respect of who God is and with an understanding that God is the one that created me. I did not create God. God created me. And it is my opportunity to give thanks, which is an important piece of worship, to give thanks back to God. So adoration, praise, thanksgiving are all words that you can kind of interchange a little bit to describe what we're actually doing. We're worshiping. We're giving thanks. We're praising God for who God is and what God has done for me in creating this world that I now live in.
0: So then in in the life of a service uh and and I I know where you'll go with this but just to kind of mm-hmm. open the door here uh is worship just singing? Is that the way we worship God through singing?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> and as I've as I've often said it's a little bit like fingernails on a chalkboard for a pastor when mm-hmm. When after you've finished your sermon, the, the worship director or the worship leader then says, let us now go back to worship mm-hmm. as if everything else we did was not worship, but now the music is worship. I don't think they mean that. It's just shorthand for let's really intensely worship God now and and take what we just heard and now apply it to our worship. Um, but worship is everything that we do, from the moment we walk into the sanctuary, the offering that is taken, the prayers that we pray, the liturgies that we might use, which are those responsive readings uh, that we might use, all of that, and the sermon, everything that we do is, is worship. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual act of worship, meaning that. Worship doesn't just take place on Sunday morning. Worship should happen throughout the week. And at the end of the worship service, we sometimes say, now at the end of the worship, let us have our closing prayer or benediction. And frankly, the worship service in the sanctuary may be coming to an end, but we are actually going out into the world to continue worship because we recognize that God is present everywhere, and everywhere I am should be a place where I connect with God and therefore worship God. Gotcha. So
0: what you are saying then is even even when we are giving an offering, when the offering plate is passed, we in our hearts can consider this to be an act of worship.
1: Absolutely. And I often pray on Sunday morning when before the offering, I pray, Lord, receive not only the finances we place within these plates, but receive our hearts and lives as we give ourselves to you. So it's just just trying to emphasize that this is an act of worship. It's not just to pay the light bills or to support the pastor or the ministries of the church, we're really giving back to God a part of what God has shared with us. And giving that part back to God is a way of saying, God, thank you for everything you've given me, and I'm worshiping you by giving back to you. And I also understand that some people may not be able to put anything in the offering plate. And so my prayer sometimes is, is Lord, and if we have nothing to give financially, Lord, in this plate, I metaphorically put myself in this plate and receive me as an offering unto you. And that's really what Paul meant by being an offering to God, not just a one-time offering we make on Sunday morning and we're done. Paul says be a living sacrifice, a living offering throughout the entire week.
0: So so then is um and I don't know how to ask this exactly because I think sometimes we can fall under the realm of being accused of being works centered. When we think about this, when we know our relationship with God is based on grace and that we can't merit his love for us at the same time, is worship something that is, can we say required of us as a believer? How should we look at this?
1: You know, that's really a fascinating question. So is worship required? I think if you're a healthy disciple of Jesus, I think, I, I, How do you phrase it? It is a requirement, but it's also something I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's like breathing. Is breathing required? Well, no, you can live a few minutes without breathing, but but I think you probably want to breathe. Can Can I remain a Christian without worshiping? I would say for maybe a time or a season. But like a breath of air, you're going to have to breathe in order to survive. And if you're going to remain a Christian, then, yeah, I guess worship is— maybe required. That's a great question. I hadn't really put much thought to that before. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I guess
0: even to go further, I'm I'm thinking about, uh, somebody might say, because we know worship isn't like encouraging each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not, we're not encouraging God. No, God, you can do this. Come on, God. We know you can, uh, like we would encourage our children, but it's such a necessary part of our relationship. I wonder, and I, I think probably my understanding this, um, it it almost seems arrogant to think that God would require worship of us, but but the more you mature in this and the more you grow in this, you begin to realize that really worship was made for us so that we can recognize just how big and awesome and all-encompassing and all-knowing and all thing, all thing this God is that we serve. I, I wonder if even though we worship God and it's drawing our attention on him if in the end do you think worship is is really more about us learning who God is
1: i yes and i i think worship really, really is more for us than it is for god now i want to make make clear that i say this that that in worship there the audience is not the people sitting in the pew right right the audience is really god and sometimes we get that confused because we think that when we come to worship we ought to be receiving all kinds of things when the reality is is we're not here to be entertained. Mm -hmm. We're here to worship God. God's the audience, and everything that we do ought to glorify who God is. Um, And so we come to worship not to be entertained, but so God can be the audience. Mm -hmm. However, in that process, there's this exchange. So we come to God, and we offer God praise and offerings, both through the offering plate the financial gift we might give. But we also worship God by the prayers that we offer, the songs that we sing. But but it's not just going up to heaven, as you suggested. It's mm-hmm. There's something happening that there's this return. And we're not, by the way, earning coins. As you said, we can't earn this. So we're not just earning coins that we can put in a vending machine we call God and say, okay, God, I've worshiped you now. You give me my spiritual coins, and I'm going to plug it into – this uh, spiritual vending machine and I'm going to push the right buttons and I'll get what I want that's not what worship is it's not just so I can get something in return but there is something that comes back to me and my example would be like a, when I would go home uh, from college you know I went home to see my my parents and and they loved that I came to see them, and they would hug me and say, Tim, it's so good to see you. But in that process, I received back. It wasn't just that I was going to say thank you for paying my college tuition, which I did thank them for, mm-hmm. but they also um, gave back to me this feeling of acceptance. And this, right. and so worship is like that, mm-hmm. too. There's this, an exchange that's taking place mm-hmm. uh, that happens in worship. That's neat.
0: Now, one of the—and there's kind of a dichotomy going on, and, and even in a ministry like, like the one here at, at Peoria, First United Methodist Church, because we have uh, three very distinctively different styles of worship. We have what, what's called traditional here, which traditional is kind of— I guess it depends on what your tradition is, yeah. uh, but it definitely has its own flavor to it, a, a more uh, uh, liturgical at times approach. Then we have the contemporary, which we call Renew, and that uh, uses the the modern worship music and uh, is in the darker room with the lighting and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, the uh, the Renuevo bilingual service, which uh, is our Latino community, although we do have some Anglos as part of that, but it has its own flavor as well for the worship. And in my years of, of doing this, uh, walk with Jesus I've, I've come to realize people really have some dramatically different views on worship and sometimes we can stubbornly think that our view is the correct view and I've known people who believe that to worship you have to wave your hands and there has to be a certain amount of uh, uh, response coming out of your body in in, in vocalizing things and in movement and so forth. And then others will stand perfectly still and almost are mortified to move in a, in a worship experience. Some uh, uh, worship with the stained glass windows. Some have the lighting. Uh, how are we as believers? Is the Pastor, is there a right way and a wrong way to worship?
1: Well, my way is the right way that yes. I know. Yes. Yeah, That's at least that's how most of us feel. But the reality is, is, is we serve a God of the entire universe. God is, bigger than we can ever imagine and i have a feeling that our worship in spite of the fact that we've moved from very what we call traditional styles of worship and very high church styles of worship through you know the years mm-hmm. to what we're now experiencing which some for some seem very much like a concert but i'm not sure that even if you went from one extreme to the other that we have yet reached the level of worship that wow that we could reach in wow. in praising and worshiping this God who is so much bigger than we are, sure. So personally, and and I'll make a confession here, um, two things. One is I like many styles of worship. I wish that we did not have over the years what we've called a worship war between people who worship in a traditional style versus people who worship in a contemporary style. And I think we've done the church a disservice in that we've separated those two things out as if they were two totally different ways. I'm not sure how to phrase it, but they're two different—they're um, worshiping two different gods. It's mm. kind of how we've yeah. done it. I wish that we had never separated them out to begin with, but that's me. I wish—because I would do—if if I had the choice— I would just do a blended worship service with a little bit of everything because I like it all. And here's my second confession. If I get too much of a steady diet of one style or the other, I frankly get bored. Mm-hmm. And my, my, I don't know, concern, but my curiosity is, is if we could ask God, do you get bored with our worship? And what we know from Scripture is that God said in the Old Testament, I detest your worship. And I detest it because you worship me with your lips, meaning you've memorized the chorus or you've memorized the hymn or the piece of liturgy or the Lord's Prayer. You've memorized it, but you have no idea what these words mean. And two, your lips are with me, but your heart is somewhere else. And my concern is in all of our styles of worship, whatever they are, that we're not just giving God lip service. Sure, We've got to show up on Sunday morning and worship, so we just go through the motions. And God says, thank you, but no thank you. Because if you think you're bored, I'm yes. really bored. <laughs> well, And, you know, and I think you're referencing Amos 5, if I'm not mistaken
0: mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the most stark parts of Scripture about worship, where basically, and I, I'm going to just, it basically says, if you want to translate it correctly, you make me want to puke yes. with both your hymns mm-hmm. and your, contem- your choruses, mm-hmm. which it, it actually kind of encompasses the different, the broad ranges, your instruments, that because your heart's not in this. You're not worshiping me. You're you're not, you're not doing justice. You're not uh, loving all people. And, and therefore, you're making me absolutely sick. And and Yes. We, but we don't want to hear that about the way we worship, right?
1: No, absolutely. And, and so for whatever worship style you're in, make sure you're connecting literally, fully, truly connecting with God and not just with a piece of music because it's not about the music. Matt Redman wrote that song, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the song, God. A song is not what you required. What you required is me, something deeper within. And so it's really about about connecting with God, whether you're on the traditional side or in a high church setting and you're using a lot of liturgy. My concern is, is do you understand the liturgy you're reading? Or are you just doing it because we're expected to read liturgy this morning? Or say the Lord's Prayer. On the other side, um, I can sing some of these choruses on the other side, um uh, in contemporary worship and 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 not really think about what i'm singing so i need to engage worship is about engaging with god and not about being entertained myself which is by the way why we invite the congregation whether you're in a contemporary setting or you're in a traditional to sing with us and even if you can't sing well go ahead and follow along and and think about the song that we're singing in understand we're lifting these words up to God. It's not entertainment for everybody else around us. It's really to lift these words up to God.
0: So, so then how do we, and again, let me kind of approach this from the eyes of somebody who's not a part of, of a church or the church community. How do we understand this? And why do Christians you think fight so much over this stuff? And we we've seen it. Um, I mean, there, there can sometimes be this idea that we really believe you need this to Have worship, but we need you need to have this to worship, and, and you 're being too formal you 're being too lax um, for where does somebody who's coming into this this area of of following Jesus and maybe starting to understand what it means how do they find what is right for them and get above all of the noise that 's going on around them about what they should do or they ought to do to worship
1: mm-hmm. well i th- I think it's important for people to hear the words of Jesus who said um, to this Samaritan woman that um, you're to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so um, whatever, you need to try a variety of worship styles. find And then find a worship style that really fits who you are. So that's what I would call your truth. And once you find your truth, then then live in that lane. I mean, and own that lane. But understand that other people may be in a different lane than you're in, and that's okay because that's their truth. So if your truth is you're an introvert and and being noticed just dry, with, brings fear into your life, so you're not one who's going to shout because that would bring attention to you. You're not going to raise your hand because somebody may notice you. Mm-hmm. Your truth is I'm really – I love being inside my head and that's where I can worship the best. Then stand in the sanctuary when everybody else stands and worship God in your truth, in your way of worshiping. If, on the other hand, you're an extrovert and you cannot imagine sitting still for more than five seconds, find a worship experience that allows you to stand and raise your hand and dance in the aisles if that's where God leads you that morning, and understand that that's your truth. That's not somebody else's. So as an extrovert, I shouldn't put my style of worship and say it's better than the introvert. The introvert shouldn't say, but you're dishonoring God because you're being loud and everybody's paying attention to you. Good point. So w- worship God in your in spirit and in truth, and, and I believe that means in what truth is for you to worship, the way in which you worship. All of us have experiences that we think everybody else ought to have, but not everybody— Appreciates the same experience. I food, for example, we mm-hmm. talked a few podcasts ago about food, and everybody right. thinks my green bean casserole is the best, and you've got to try it. And yes, I think yeah. You, as I've said to my kids many times, you don't l- know if you like it until you try it. So at least try it. Once you get that thing in your mouth, a Brussels sprout or a piece of liver, whatever, you may decide absolutely not. And that's okay. That's your truth. You don't need to eat ever again. Leave it alone. But at least give it a try. So, in worship, what I like may not be what you like. And that's okay. I hate cilantro. To me, cilantro tastes like soap. (laughs) Right? And there are some styles of worship that aren't my favorite, but I'm not. I'm not tearing somebody else down because they worship it a particular way. I, nor am I going to make fun of people who love cilantro. There are people right now on the podcast going, "How can you not love cilantro?" Exactly. It's, That's it's, what I want to know. It's great stuff. <laughs> not for me. But and then we can have
0: discussion about that vile green bean casserole as well. But we oh, won't yeah. go. We won't go into that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, one of the interesting things uh, over my years is I have heard. I remember I had I had a woman uh, in one of my churches who was in her seventies who said, "Pastor, I just can't stand those old hymns." Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny hearing that coming from an older person. And I've heard younger people say, "I just don't like this m- modern contemporary music." It's interesting that when we're talking about worship in the in the as far as format is concerned, mm-hmm. that there really is no way to define it as far as age is concerned. While it may skew more one way than another, uh, I think that goes along with what you're saying. That really. Uh, there is no way of saying that if you do this style of worship, this particular age group will come. It's a really interesting factor, and it kind of makes your job a little bit harder, doesn't it? It
1: does, Yeah, because uh, you think we build it and they will come. Uh-huh. So we add a guitar and a drum and they will come, and that, that's not how it works. Right? Evangelism works the same today as it always has. It is a personal invitation of one person actually getting to know another person well enough to say, would you like to come and meet this Savior of mine? Would you like to come to church with me? Putting a drum in a sanctuary means nothing to anybody walking by or driving by your church. They have no idea that you had to fight 15 people and three of them left because you put a drum set in your church. They don't care. They don't even know. What it takes is somebody saying, hey, we've got a brand-new praise band or we've got a brand-new choir director, and they're just doing some wonderful music, whatever style it is, I'd love for you to come with me on Sunday morning. That's how you build a church, not by the style you have without invitation. Nobody knows the battles you're fighting or maybe not fighting, as the case may be in the church. They only know if somebody's actually invited them to come or not. One of the uh, other, I think, fronts that we've really seen this so
0: these worship wars if you will Mm -hmm. uh, take place is over the formatics and and just the type of sanctuary you're in uh, stained glass versus lights uh you can find plenty of people online who want to say derisive things towards churches that use smoke machines, which basically mm-hmm. the idea of smoke machine, a smoke machine is to make the light able to be seen. Right. Those uh, hazers, those yeah. hazers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and even screens versus books. I've heard the argument that really you're not worshiping. You can't possibly have a, an encounter with God if you don't have that book in your hand in front of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't want to deride that way. of thinking, except to say that uh, it, is there really room for people to, to see this differently? I mean, are we in danger of losing our soul because we fail to pick up a hymn book or because we use a, a hazer with our lights? What do you think?
1: No, I, again, I don't think the danger is in the style or the equipment or or the trappings, if you want to call them that, that are around you. The danger is in not having your heart in the right place when you mm-hmm. worship, meaning yeah. worshiping God. So if I, because it equally on both sides of that aisle, you can worship the wrong thing. So on the traditional side, you can end up worshiping the Lord's prayer. Right. And if you don't have it, we've not worshiped. Right. Or you can end up worshiping the stained glass that you come and just are in awe of every week instead of the God that it's supposed to point you to. right? On the other hand, if you're coming and experiencing only the hazers and the light show and not the one that it's Trying to draw you into with this experience of the awesomeness of God, you've worshipped the wrong thing. And as we quoted from Amos, then your heart is far from me. Your lips are serving me. Your eyes are certainly filled with the glory of your building. But what about my glory? Right. So both of them can be equally wrong. It's also interesting. I've had you know people complain about, as you suggested, about um, the worship's music or the style of music. And sometimes people are shocked when I've told them that, that Fanny Crosby was—her was, songs were taken out of several hymnals when she first wrote them because she talks so sensually, so mm. so relationally about Jesus. Yeah. And they felt um, these were just inappropriate songs. Now, we sing Fanny Crosby songs like crazy in the, in the traditional service now without thinking about that. John Wesley felt that churches shouldn't have organs— because they and by his time organs were about a 200-year-old instrument or so but they were very expensive in order to put as they mm-hmm. still are today some of these organs cost half a million dollars to 2 million dollars to install sure. in a sanctuary sure. and Wesley felt that money was was maybe not spent well because there were poor people who needed to be cared for and he didn't think churches ought to have organs and but we we kind of really And when John Wesley rode on the back of a horse, he didn't have a musical instrument other than his own voice. And he would sing, and and people would sing along with him. He would sing the line, they would repeat it. And he'd sing the next one, they would repeat it. And so some of the ways, our traditional way of worship at one point was really the modern (laughs) contemporary worship. And what today is our contemporary worship will one day be the traditional worship in 50 years from now. And we'll think, well, this is the only way to worship, and we've we'll forgotten the battles that were fought in order to allow electric guitars and drums to be a part of the service, as 200 years ago or almost 250 organs had to fight to have a place in the church, and but we've forgotten those wars that were fought, and um, and I and again both. If that's where you are and are comfortable and you're able to truly worship in spirit and truth, then God bless you wherever you are. So let's say
0: now that you've found the place where you're most comfortable worshiping, whether it's a, a more traditional or contemporary environment, whatever that might be, you you found your, your spot. Um, how is it you keep from, by the time you leave, feeling like, you know, I really... I feel empty. I feel dry. I, did, I didn't get anything out of this today. Or as I've, I've actually had somebody tell me before, I didn't get fed. Mm-hmm. So how is it we? And obviously, we're if you're if you're looking for what I get out of this, you've missed the whole purpose of why we we gathered in the first place. But how can we make sure that once we've experienced a a worship event with with our community that. Uh, We've been a part of that. How can we make sure that our heart is, uh, is actually worshiping?
1: Well, I, and that's a great question because I think there's, there's some other things we could talk about. We just don't have time to talk about about sure. that dark night of the soul, as yeah. St. John of the Cross talks about. Um, Mother Teresa, John Wesley, Martin Luther, all of them in their journals talk about these times in their their life, these seasons when they were struggling to connect with God. And they felt like their prayers didn't go any higher than the ceiling. I've I've experienced that. And yet I continue to worship God in spite of how I may feel. So um, just like a good relationship, it's not based on how you feel. My relationship with my wife, if I based it on how I felt, i Jenny and I would have been divorced within the first five weeks, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. it's not yeah. about feeling. It's about a commitment that I've made. And even in those moments when, I may be finding it hard to worship. Um, there have been times when I've come into the sanctuary, even as a pastor, and I needed to let other people sing that morning to lift their voices before God on my behalf because I couldn't sing. I was in a, just a, a place that, that um, I don't want to say was unhealthy. It was just a season of my life or a moment in my life. I may have had a funeral for a 31-year-old that week. Or a mother had to be with a mother who, who had a stillbirth. And so I come into the sanctuary, and I'm just, I'm just emotionally not present. And I know that. First of all, confess that to God. I'm, I'm not, Lord, I understand I'm not present today. I want to be. But you know in my life, X, Y, and Z is going on. And, Lord, today I need my brothers and sisters around me to sing on my behalf. And I've prayed that prayer. There's a passage of scripture, by the way, in the, in the Old Testament out of a Habakkuk. Uh, not Tabakkuk, by the way, but <laughs> Habakkuk. And it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive drops and fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in my pen and no cattle in my stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And there's sort of this idea that there are these moments in times when we go through life. Sometimes it's a a whole season. Sometimes it's just a particular Sunday. But in spite of how I feel or what I may not have or what I might have lost this week, I'm still going to give God thanks and praise because God is bigger than my moment. God is bigger than my season. And God is going to give me the grace and mercy, even if I don't have all the things I think I ought to have. And even though things in my life may have, have fallen, and I think there's some real spiritual maturity that comes with, in spite of my circumstance, Lord, I'm still going to rejoice and praise you. Even though I didn't maybe enjoy what the praise band offered this morning, or I didn't like what the choir sang and they were out of tune, or the pastor was, you know, um, I think he was suffering like I am and is just out of sorts today. In spite of all that, God, I'm still going to praise you and rejoice in you because you're the one that I'm worshiping today. Not the music, not the sermon, and certainly not my experience in life because it may be a bad experience, but I'm going to worship you.
0: Yeah, yeah. and without mentioning names, somebody I know wrote a book where they mentioned that from Habakkuk about the even though yet I will.
1: Mm.
0: And that to me is such a valuable way of approaching the worship. And we can do that every Sunday that even though, and then fill in the blank, butcher, even though is even though I'm not liking this service very much, mm-hmm. or yeah, this there's this distraction, or this was done poorly. It could have been. I just don't like this. The question is, how are you going to fill in the yet I will, mm-hmm. and the yet I will will determine what you take home with you once you've left the worship.
1: Sure, yeah, and I think I, I think, and I would phrase it that I am not here to worship the offering of others. So when the choir sings, it's actually an offering they're giving to God. I'm not here to worship the offering. I'm yes, here to worship the God right. that it's being given to. Yeah. And, and and connect with the God myself, not connect to the choir. I'm supposed to be connected to God. And what they're offering ought to help me connect to God. And sometimes it, it doesn't happen from the praise band, from the choir, from the pastor. And so I'm not here to worship their offering. I'm here to worship the one that we're offering this gift to.
0: And I, I think one... F- thing we need to go one place we need to go before we uh we wrap this up is uh the the wrong idea that worship is about an hour long event on Sunday morning is that true is worship much more than
1: just a service it is As I suggested earlier from Romans 12, if you go look that up, verses 1 through 3, it talks about our life being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice given to God. So worship ought to happen everywhere. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Moses out in the wilderness. It's a dry desert. There's a burning bush. Mm -hmm. Some of you remember that story, and he goes to the burning bush, and he hears the voice of God saying, Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Now, if you were to do an analysis of the sand he was standing on, you would not have found a chemical difference between that and sand taken 500 yards away or uh, you know, a mile away. Right. There might be a few chemical differences, but it's sand. It's You're going to find the same composition there. So the sand, the actual ground he was on was not what made it holy. What made it holy was the presence of God. And the presence of God can be found, we believe, is omnipresent, meaning everywhere. So whether you're at church on Sunday morning or you're watching online from your living room, in the moment that you recognize the presence of God, that makes that ground, even if you've not mopped or swept in a month, that still makes that piece of, of territory holy ground. If you're at work, if you're working in a factory, in a line, in the moment you recognize that, you know what, God is with me, that little piece of concrete that you're standing on becomes holy ground because you recognize the presence of God.
0: Wait, so you're saying that you can actually worship at work while you're doing your job?
1: You can worship at work. Now, I would suggest not closing your eyes, raising your hands, and shouting hallelujah. That might end your employment. <laughs> but but in that moment, though, you in your spirit inside mm-hmm. of you, in your mind and in your heart, you can worship God there. And in fact, Scripture says... Um, that whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. So if you're a school teacher, do it as if you're doing it for God. If you're putting together widgets, do it as if you're doing it for God. If you're a waitress, do it as if you're doing this for God. And the funny thing is, is throughout my life when I've thought of that, even I hate mowing the lawn. But when I think of myself mowing the lawn in order to glorify God, it changes Mm. my attitude and my heart a little bit about that. I still don't want to do it. Sure. Uh, the, the actual work, but because I got allergies, but, but it does change my attitude about, you know what? This is something I can do. It's not something I just have to do. Otherwise I'm going to get in trouble by the neighbors, but I'm doing this really or today. And as I mold this, I'm going to honor you. There's an old movie, by the way, uh, chariots of fire about a guy who ran in the Olympics years ago. And he talks about, uh, he w- he was a marathon runner in a, uh, 100-yard sprinter, and and he talks about how he's running not for himself. He says, I run for the glory of God, and he just—you can see right. on his face this smile as he's running around this track because he's worshiping God as he's running. This is his gift. This is his truth, and it's his gift that he's giving back to God.
0: Let's, uh, let's leave our viewers and listeners with a little bit of help as far as how they can put some of these things into practice once they get home, and— uh As I was thinking about this, for example, I thought of, uh, there was one time when I thought, if I just go to the Psalms, that will help me to worship. And then I started reading the Psalms and thought, what? And I had to realize what I was dealing with was uh, the psalmists are wrestling with real life issues. Mm -hmm. And then they come to the conclusion, well, this is who God is. And it may not always resolve the issue. And it may not make their situation any better, but they've managed to find the uh, whoever writes that particular psalm manages to find their way to understanding something fresh and new and exciting about mm-hmm. God. And if we approach the psalms that way, perhaps that can enlarge our worship outside of a church. Sure. What, what What are your thoughts on the matter? How can our uh, folks out there step up their worship game even outside of the church?
1: Sure. Well. Uh, um, one I would suggest, if you're going to go to the Psalms, um, so I'd suggest Psalm 1, great Psalm, mm-hmm. I'd suggest Psalm 95, and I would suggest Psalm 100. Any uh, any of those three Psalms, if you get off of those, there are other Psalms that talk absolutely about worship, but there are some, as you suggested, that talk about war and arrows and mm-hmm. dashing my enemy's children against the rocks. And it's like, wait a minute, I, yes. I came here to worship. Yes, um, But those are Psalms you could go to. Again, one... Psalm 95, Psalm 100. Great Psalms to, to go to. Um, and I would suggest going to a passage of Scripture and, and worshiping God in that way. Um, and go to, the, again, to Psalm 68. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him, for his name is the Lord. And, and as a father um, to the fatherless, a defender of widows, it is God who is holy. And dwelling among us and so go to those Psalms that talk about those things um, but I would find a, a, a quiet place if if you would I, you can do a search on YouTube or other for if you know hymns if you want you can search for hymns you can search for for contemporary music uh, Matt Redmond Chris Tomlin some some of those individuals I'd play a piece of music if you want to worship on your own at home and then read that Psalm and then ask the question Lord, how do I glorify you as I've read this psalm or I've read out of of, uh, Philippians, a great book to go to, or Ephesians? Lord, how do I put these things into practice and glorify you not only on Sunday morning, but every day of my life? So the question is, how do I get beyond just an hour and really let my whole life become an act of worship to you?
0: I think one of the best ways we can end these, and, and I've always enjoyed when we've done it this way in the past, is to ask you if you would just say a prayer for our listeners and viewers that uh, God will enlarge them in this area. So, Pastor Tim, would you close with a uh, prayer for us?
1: Let us pray. Gracious God, I give you thanks that you call us to worship. Worship really begins with you, God, and you call us into this realm, into this place of worship. And we give you thanks and praise for all that you have blessed us with, the things that you have done, the home, that maybe we dwell in and live in, the family that gathers around us. Lord, we know also that some of these things cause us strife and trouble and difficulties in life. But Lord, we pray that you would bring wholeness and peace to our homes and to our hearts. And Lord, some of us have never worshiped you before. We don't know what this thing is about. And so God, I just pray that you help us to begin to recognize your presence in our life. Help reframe our life so that we see how you've already been at work in us. And in that process, Lord, give you thanks and praise for who you are. For we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
0: Amen. Hey, thank you folks so much for coming along for the 116, a podcast about living life higher, wider, closer, and deeper. And today we particularly lived it higher. Don't forget to like us and share us on social media. If this message that you heard today means something to you, that would be a great way to pass it along to others. It's a great way to encourage others to worship. So please do uh, share us on social media and be sure and like us when you see us. uh, Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. It's absolutely free. And it helps uh, us to get the word to you more often and to others as well. Go to peoria1.com for more information and to leave us a message. That's peoria1.com. And that wraps up another edition of The 116. I'm Greg Fish, your host. Thank you so much for coming along today. It's been good having you with us.